TED Audio Collective. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. You are listening to After Hours. I'm Youngmi Moon, and tonight I'm here with Mahir Desai. Hey, Youngmi. Hi. Uh, Felix is out today, and in his stead, we have our good friend and colleague, Ryan Buell. How are you, Ryan? I'm really well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Before we start, I have to confess, I'm recovering from a cold, so if I sound a little husky today, that's what you're hearing. I think it adds to your podcast voice. Do you think? Yeah, I think it adds a whole new dimension. Yeah. Your radio voice. My radio. Yeah, it's very good. So uh, Ryan is our resident service guru, so he's an expert on customer service. So since you're filling in tonight, Mihir and I thought it would be a great opportunity to pick your brain about all the questions we have about customer service, <laughs> and in particular, why customer service isn't better. Yeah, let's just project all our complaints onto Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything that's wrong with the world. And exactly. we want you to fix them. Okay. And we have 25 minutes to do it. No sweat. Okay. All right. Okay, Mihir, you want to get us started? Sure. I thought it would be apropos to kind of tackle the mother of all service problems, the industry that is perhaps best characterized by complaints, which is, I think, the airline industry. (laughs) And so this is the industry where everybody finds something to complain about, from fees to legroom to service, the actual human service. I guess the reason I'm perplexed about this, Ryan, is because in a way, I feel like we should be so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Like airline experience, okay, it's annoying, but we should just be so grateful. It is a miracle. It is a miracle. So let's let's tackle a few questions, which is why is the industry the focus of so much anger and angst? And are they really underperforming? And if you could kind of intervene in that industry, how would you do it? I know that's a lot to tee up, but then we'll we'll take it from there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a lot to say here. So I was reading an article in The Economist. They say that the chances of a plane crash, uh, hopefully this will be comforting, are somewhere between 1 in 5.4 million and 1 in 11 million. So safety is 
pretty darn good. Yeah. You look at on-time performance, which is another thing that matters to lots and lots of customers. And the data from the first half of this year, 79% of flights landed within 15 minutes of schedule, which on the one hand, you'd say, well, that's a C plus, which isn't great. But on the other hand, it's pretty incredible because there are so many things. And it's, it's mind-blowing if you go behind the scenes of an airline of all the things that can go wrong in a flight. They've got more than 100 things that happen frequently enough to flights that cause delays that they've given them formal codes. So safety is pretty great. On-time performance, four out of five, is pretty good when yeah. you think about all the things that are going on. And prices have never been lower. Well, so why do people focus so much anger against this industry? Yeah. I'm going to put it more strongly. All right, let's Despite hear it. All of this, airlines seem to have a unique ability to make us desperately unhappy yeah. Yeah. from beginning to end. And when I travel, my intellect is telling me this is a miracle. Yeah. And yet they seem to have mastered this ability to just make yeah. us so unhappy. Yeah. So there's definitely more to the story, right? So, and I would argue that I think that passengers and airlines have kind of trained each other into this really untenable place. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting with the passengers. So airlines have come to understand that passengers pick flights largely based on price. Whatever shows up at the top of Kayak or whatever yeah. shows up at yeah. the top of Expedia, that's often what customers will click on. And so they've said, how is it that we can innovate to make sure that the prices of these Tickets are lower. So what have they done? One way they've done it is they've totally unbundled the service. So things that we used to take for granted, things that we used to expect as just being given and part of the experience of travel, now it's not the case anymore. And in fact, a lot of people are showing up at the airline surprised, for example, that they don't have an assigned seat. But you're saying a lot of that unbundling has been driven by these search mechanisms we use, like Kayak and Speedy and so on. Absolutely. And and the fact that what used to be an information asymmetry and that we didn't really know what the different prices were, now we get online and in an instant we can see the full inventory of available tickets left for a particular itinerary. And so now in a world where we're competing on price, think about how an airline will respond. One thing they'll do is they'll say, what's the cheapest product I can put up there? And that will be the completely unbundled service that strips away everything else. How else could I bring prices down? Well, um, at a time when, on average, Americans are getting bigger, we'll make the seats smaller and push them closer together so we can put more seats on the airplane so that we can actually cover the fixed costs of operating with more passengers. On top of that, you know, we know that not every passenger is going to show up for the flight. And so how else can we make sure that we bring down the price as well? If we actually sell more tickets than we have seats for, then that would be another way for us to bring down the price. And so prices have never been lower, but this is a period of time where we've really never gotten less for our money than we do right now. Look, many industries, it's been demonstrated that people will put up with a lot of suffering for a low price. And there's almost a best-in-class way to do that, to create a relationship with customers where the implicit contract is, I'm going to give you a low price, and in exchange for that, you're going to have to suffer a little bit. And there are companies that do this in a way, Ikea is a good example of Mm -hmm. a company that makes you work very hard. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of suffering. But part of doing that well involves setting expectations, no surprises, being transparent. And so why can't the airlines get better at that piece of it? Overbooking is a great example. I understand why they overbook. They overbook because people don't show up for their flights, and it's a problem. Yeah, right. But I also believe that they have visibility into the likelihood that they're going to run into the problem, and that as that flight gets closer to taking off, they get greater and greater certainty. And it's often occurred to me, like, why 
three hours before your flight. Why can't they begin to send messages out to, right. to passengers? Or even, even more, right? Even you more, not saying leave there home. is right. a really good chance this flight is going to be overbooked. Do you yeah, want to rebook idea. before you even leave your house? Why can't they begin to create a relationship with customers where they make transparent what's happening and they enlist your help in smoothing some of that friction out? Yeah, and I think they absolutely can. I think that there are opportunities for improvement in airlines, and I think the addition of transparency is one of those opportunities. And by the way, not just transparency three hours before the flight, but transparency from the moment of ticket to the moment of touchdown. So I think thinking about it through the entire experience of a passenger could make a massive difference in setting expectations appropriately, but also making passengers uh, the partner and not the victim in the service interaction. Uh, which is the untenable place where I think we're finding ourselves right now. I guess stepping back, I can't help but think this is just a great story of the airlines actually helping markets perform better, right? So unbundling is a classic example, right? I like unbundling. I actually like unbundling because I want to be able to pay for the thing I do. I don't know. It feels like they're slicing things up and dicing things up in really interesting ways that are actually, yeah, it's disturbing and disappointing, but man – are, are we all better off? I got to believe we are. And by the way, I should just mention in the background, airlines have never been financially more healthy, I think, than they are today, right? So certainly American, United, Delta, they are crushing it. But think about what you're just saying here, okay? <laughs> On the one hand, I agree with you. But what you're sort of saying is that what the airlines have discovered with a pretty good deal of sophistication yeah. is that bad service can be very profitable. That's But not only that, In the cases where it's not profitable, they give you good service. And they use their frequent flyer program as a mechanism to discern who do they need to give good service to. And to those flyers, they will give very good service. And to everybody else, they get terrible service. And that maximizes profitability. On the one hand, this is beautifully rational, and I get it. On the other hand, it is, I have to say, just emotionally as a passenger, because, you know, we fly a lot. Yeah. And so we have experienced that end of the spectrum where you get good service. Yeah. What it reveals is that they're capable of delivering phenomenal service if they want to. Absolutely. They're really capable of doing it. It just makes no economic sense for them to do it most of the time. Right. But I guess, I mean, I mean, in a way, in restaurants, we are totally happy with this, right? Like we want to have a food truck and then we want to have a cafe and then we want to have a five-star like dining experience. And it's fantastic. And we don't get upset about that. I think one of the challenges that happens in airlines, there is tremendous inequity inside the plane. So you're going through the entire higher service experience at the airport. There are two lines, right? There's TSA pre-check and then there's general. And then you make your way to the gate and they let you on the plane last. And then you walk through and you see people sipping champagne and, you know, looking very relaxed in their king-size seats. And you tromp your way to the back of the airplane where it's hot and uncomfortable and you wad yourself up into a little bulb. And the first thing they do is they get on the PA system and they effusively welcome the people that are sitting in the front of the plane, right. but not you. That's fair. And I, I think you're right because that, that doesn't happen elsewhere, right? No, so we don't no, have, that doesn't happen yeah. anywhere. We don't have these kind of comparisons yeah. that are so visible. And that is unique about airlines. You know, I keep thinking of the rise of the low-cost carriers, mm. which is really emblematic of this age of flying. The yeah. Ryanairs, the Spirit Airlines, where they just nickel and dime you to death. Right. And then you look at Southwest Airlines. Yeah, another technically low-cost low carrier. Low-cost carrier. They don't charge change fees. They don't overbook. They 
have decided that they're going to try to treat their passengers better. What's the difference between Southwest and these other low-cost carriers that incentivizes them to decide to make customer service a priority, even when they don't have to. Southwest is a fascinating example of a very focused provider, right? This is an organization that just this year reported its 45th consecutive year of profitability in airlines. So let's just pause for a minute to appreciate how incredible that is. But this is an organization that has a very straightforward, very simple model. It's an egalitarian model, right? We're going to fly one kind of airplane. We're going to have everybody sit in the same kind of seat. We're not going to give anybody uh, a boarding pass. Uh, Historically, it was first come, first serve. Everybody knows what the rules of the road are. Even business class travelers who would be business class and other airlines who sit in the same exact seats on Southwest, uh, they understand the rules of the road. What it requires is a focused model, and it requires leaders that understand the interconnections in the model and how different decisions that are seemingly tactical and that might make short-term sense can actually be like pulling the thread that unravels the sweater. What Mm. I think is really incredible about Southwest Airlines is how steadfastly they have stood by some of the tenets uh, of their operations. So let me – but I'm not sure what the lesson from the Southwest story is. Let me be cynical just for these purposes because I'm never cynical. Um, (laughs) um, Look, it's an idiosyncratic play. They've been doing it for 30 years. Nobody has followed them. They've benefited by being on lots of idiosyncratic routes – they didn't have the legacy cost and the legacy contracts that a lot of the big, big airlines did. They're point-to-point instead of hub-and-spoke. They're point-to-point. And so it's a very um, it's a very idiosyncratic model. And so here's the thing. If you're in an industry like this one that is so emotionally fraught, where customers routinely have these painful, aversive, yeah. emotional, negative, visceral reactions to the experiences that they have with you, The spoils for the defector, the spoils for the first one to really try and genuinely create the conditions where employees and customers are simultaneously having an incredible experience when they come together – are massive, Uh are just massive. Um, And so in an industry where people have really low expectations, if you can knock the ball out of the park, think of the opportunity there. Southwest is an organization that has created the conditions around their employees where those employees can thrive in the delivery of outstanding service. Um, I'll give you kind of two contrasting examples. The depth of despair is the United example. And I think we're all familiar with the David Dow example A paying passenger on an overbooked flight, uh, they start offering money to to try and get people to get off the plane, vouchers, uh, you know, will you take $750? No one goes for it. Will you take $1,000? No one goes for it. No one really understands exactly why, but they went to the next part of the playbook at United, uh, which is to drag him off the plane. Well, there's an involuntary removal process where they ask you. Say you say tomato, I say tomato. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but ultimately, but that's what that's what wound up happening, right? So they wind up calling airport security. They drag him off the plane, break several of his teeth, give him a concussion. This is a paying customer getting dragged off a plane. It's captured on cell phone footage. The other end of the spectrum is a story that happened also at Chicago O'Hare, but this time on a Southwest flight, where uh, Peggy Ewell was flying on her way, she thought, to Columbus. The plane pulls away from the gate, and then they call the plane back. And the flight attendant comes up to Miss Ewell and says, "Um, 
ma'am, uh, will you please get off the plane um, and go see the gate agent? And so she goes to see the gate agent and uh, the gate agent says, um, ma'am, uh, please call your husband. And she calls her husband and learns that her son, who's in Denver, has been in a serious accident and has had a head injury. Here's what happens. So the Southwest crew immediately and automatically books her on the first flight from Chicago to Denver. They arrange things so that she can get on the plane first and and sit up front so that she can get off the plane first. And then they follow up with her later that night to check in on her son to see how he's doing. Uh, Now, he goes on subsequently to make a full recovery. But you think about all the exceptions, all the things that weren't a part of Southwest's playbook that – had to go into pulling the plane back, to getting her off the plane, to be dealing with it sensitively. The amazing thing about service is it's just the business of people helping people. And so often, so often organizations get in the way of people doing what they would do so well naturally. And what I love about that Southwest example and the strong contrast with United is that at Southwest, people have the license to do it. They're empowered to do these things, yeah. Exactly. And so I think if you could do one thing with an airline, it would just be to give the front line a little bit of license to be human. And if you could do that, you could start to create the conditions where customers would get energy from interacting with the employees. Right. Employees yeah. would get it right back from the yeah. customers. And there would be this reciprocal loop that could be really powerful. Oh. I love that. Okay, when we come back, Ryan, since we have you, I want to pick your brain about some other pet peeves I have about service. Mahir, I'm sure you have some too. Absolutely. Okay, great. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. I have a pet peeve about customer service. When I see bad service as a strategy, when I know they're giving me bad service and I know it's strategic, it makes me crazy. So a great example of this is when you try to cancel your cable television service or your wireless phone service. And they make it impossible. They make it impossible. You can go online or you can open your mobile app and you can do everything else. You can add HBO. You can add services. You can change your plan. You can do many things. But if you want to cancel, you have to either call them, you have to write them. It's also a market failure because that only happens in industries where where there are oligopolies, where there's a license to be complacent. And they've gotten themselves into an equilibrium where they recruit customers with these promotional schemes. You get all of your needs met for one low price and maybe for two years. And then during the 25th month, they'll increment it up just a little bit. And then the 26th month, they'll increment it up a little bit more. And the industry, they call this step stoning. And the experience that it creates for customers is just terrible. And what winds up happening is invariably their competitor, because these are oligopolies, will come out with a new promotion. And then you'll jump ship and you'll go to, those, mm-hmm. to that competitor. And then the cycle starts over. And the only reason it's sustainable is because customers are hopping back and forth from competitor A to B to A to B to A to B. And we're in a world that isn't very good for the customer at all. And by the way, it's not very good for the firms either because it's expensive when you lose customers and you have to reacquire customers. And they're spending all this money trying to recapture customers that two years ago – didn't want anything to do with them. Yeah, that's nasty. It's a really, really bad place to be. Um, But when you're just looking at the near term, it kind of makes sense. I think the other piece of the dynamic is this notion that it's very, very difficult for us to link definitively investments we make in service now with long-term profit down the road. Pet peeve. Okay, I don't know if this is a pet peeve, but I've noticed this coming up more and more. 
It's a very unusual phenomenon, I think, which is pre-tipping. What's a pre-tip? Well, a pre-tip is a gratuity that you give in advance of the delivery of the service. So seamless um, if you order food. Oh, of course. So there's pre-tipping. Food so delivery, that's food right. Food delivery, when you, you when order, you order online on Seamless or whatever it is, you give the gratuity before the service. And by the way, this happens more generally. You go to a cafe, you say, I'll have a espresso and whatever, and then they'll turn the screen to you <laughs> immediately. There's been no delivery of service, and you're asked to give a gratuity. So I'm fascinated by this. Initially, I was like, I hate this. Like, what am I doing? But I, I don't know. I've come to kind of wonder if it's interesting. Like, maybe, I think you know, it's interesting. It's kind of interesting, right? It's like totally relying on the social impulse. It's just like, come on, you understand there's like a social bargain here and you're supposed to give a tip. I don't know if it's a pet peeve or if it's kind of brilliant, but it just strikes me as weird that we're in a world now where we're pre-tipping. What do you think about that, Ryan? And there was a Wall Street Journal article that came oh, out on this last week around these systems where also, as you described, where they'll turn the screen around and have you make a decision about tipping. And what they pointed out was that it, it becomes this very awkward moment where everyone in line behind you can see your decision and the employee often is standing there standing expectantly right there. waiting yep. for it. It's a really awkward situation, I think, for the employee, for the customer, and often it comes at the very end of the experience. And this links to a pet peeve of mine, which is when service isn't sustainable. So I think what this is actually a symptom of is, is companies not paying their employees enough money and trying to outsource a piece of that to the customer. So, I mean, an alternative world, right, would be one where uh, at least you don't do the pre-tipping, but you would charge more for the muffin or you would charge more for the coffee, right. enough to be able to provide a, a reasonable wage to the employee. And then you would provide an opportunity for people to provide gratuities outside of the system if they chose to. Yeah. Ryan, in general, has technology and automation, does it make service better when we have tools like that screen that you referred to or mobile apps? What have you learned about the extent to which automation improves service so it absolutely can improve service, but the devil is really in the details here. So, for example, if you order online from Domino's, you can use their pizza tracker app, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so which, is, it, it, which is awesome. Amazing. It's totally yeah. awesome. With the pizza tracker app, it actually tells you when your pizza went in the oven, who put it in the oven, what's going on at any given moment in time. You can almost imagine you're in the kitchen with Rory yeah. as he put your pizza in the oven and you're moving through the process. It's transformed their business. It is totally yeah transform their business. So now more than half their customers place online orders. 75% of them use Pizza Tracker. People love this thing. And it sucks out all the variability, all of the uncertainty about what's happening with my pizza. And it gives me a window into the process. So this is a nice example, I think, of where technology makes the experience better for the customer and the experience yeah. better for the employee. Yeah. If there's one piece of advice that you could give companies on something they might be under-leveraging, in terms of improving their customer service, what would it be? I think the biggest thing that companies could do to try and improve their customer service is to really try and create the conditions for their employees to thrive, which right. means they need to be given the autonomy or the permission to go outside the standards and norms where appropriate in service of the objectives of the organization to create great experiences for the people that they're serving, right? Service is the business of people helping people. And if we can get the organization out of the way and help people serve one another better, 
Think of the value that that will create. Think of the difference that that will make, not just in shareholders' lives, but in customers' lives and in employees' lives. I think what's interesting to me about that, just briefly, is it shifts the focus away from customers to the employees, right? I mean, what you're talking about is you're all about the employees, right? And in a way, it's surprising. What one might expect you to say is, think harder about the customer, you know? (laughs) And you're saying... No, think harder about the employee. Mm. It's, it reminds me of somebody who thinks about educational reform, and she, she said to me, you know, we should stop talking about the kids. We should just talk about the teachers. Mm. If you think about the way that we all interact with each other, we can do this service thing naturally. You're both great friends, and if I ever call upon you for anything, I know you'll be there and you'll be helpful to me. When we start putting... Well, it depends on what it is, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> you want to teach in that exec ed program? <laughs> But when we start putting ourselves in the context of organizations, right, it can often confound our ability to do what we would do so well naturally. Hmm. That's great. Thanks, Ryan. Okay, guys, usually we do picks at this time, but I thought we'd do something a little bit different since we have Ryan here. And I thought we would do Customer Experience Awards. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so I'm going to throw out some categories and just say the first thing that comes into your mind. Okay, first award is the best customer experience innovation. Okay, so I'm going to go with in-store pickup for food. So Sweet Green is a good example of it. Being able to order in advance, in-store pickup, completely easy. Love it. No waiting in lines, and you get exactly what you want, and you time it perfectly. Yeah. So in-store pickup on prepared food, I'm, I think it's amazing. Fantastic. Okay, Ryan. That's awesome. So Gap recently ran an experiment providing predictable and stable schedules to their employees uh, over nine months, 28 stores. And what they found was that employees loved it. The best employees, they stayed around longer. So uh, retention went up, um, but sales went up as well, 7%. And so by taking better care of their employees, they actually were able to take better care of their huh. customers. Oh, nice. That's great. Okay, mine is just GPS visibility into anything. I can't live without it. When I use an app and have something delivered to my house, the fact that you can see them coming, it's like the Uber or whatever, and every once in a while you order something and they don't have the GPS integrated, and it makes me crazy. That's how much I've come to rely on. It's amazing how quickly these things become things that you can't imagine why everyone doesn't have. Exactly. And I don't know why I need to see what street they're on, but for some reason I need to know exactly. And I need to know if they're driving the way I would have driven as well. (laughs) So, okay, a friction award for either zero friction, you were able to do something with zero or way too much friction. Okay, I'm going to go for the zero, which is I'm going to go for Vanguard. Mm -hmm. I think Vanguard is spectacular. So this is um, a financial services company. Obviously, they're known for uh, index funds, but... You can do everything with them. You can do brokerage. You can do retirement. You can do everything. And man, is their interface fantastic. It's not sexy. It's not flashy. And it's cheap. I just think it's a fantastic, total friction-free. And then when you do need, by the way, customer service, really good. So I'm going to go with Vanguard all the way. Excellent. That's awesome. I'm going to give you a best and worst in one. Starbucks mobile order app. It's awesome. It's so great. I use it literally every morning, and now you know why I'm running around all the time. Uh, uh, a little uh, too much caffeine. A little too much caffeine. Um, it's frictionless. You use it. You show up. You pick up your, your stuff, and I walk out the door. Now, here's the thing. It's absolutely frictionless for people who use the mobile order app. 
It is absolutely the opposite for everybody who doesn't. And so if you stand in the line, basically it means whoever uses the app jumps the line. Yeah. And the experience of waiting in the line has gotten so much worse yeah. at Starbucks. And Starbucks is really struggling trying to figure out how do we continue to deliver gracious service when we've got this omni-channel strategy. And in a way, you're pushing people to the mobile app, right? Yeah, Which absolutely. Is, yeah. The people that were on the edge, right? Yeah. Do I want to stand in the line or not? They are increasingly being yeah. trained yeah. to go to mobile order. And eventually, there's no difference between Starbucks and Dunkin'. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. My zero friction award, because I criticized Apple before, I have to give them a shout out for how simple they have made the setup process for when you buy a new phone or a new laptop. It is unbelievable to get a new phone just place it next to your old phone. Have you tried this thing? No, I didn't do that. Oh, that's awesome. And it just... You just put them next to each other, and then something (laughs) happens. Wow. And then your phone now has all your stuff on it. It's unbelievable. So a shout-out to to Apple. I'll give you one more friction thing I just want to say for United Airlines, which is to log on. They make it so difficult, and they have four security questions. And if you don't know your password— you have to answer the security questions. And if you get any of the security questions wrong, you get bumped out and then no. you get locked out. Oh, no. And I'm thinking the level of security at united.com far exceeds any financial institution I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's made me like not book a ticket because oh I've just been God. like, I cannot handle the fact that I can't book a ticket. That's so If funny. Vanguard can do it, surely they can exactly. too. Okay, last one. Above and beyond the call of duty. I can't ever say anybody except my man Mario, Mario. who I've talked about it. Mario. Yeah, I'm sorry. Mario. I feel if I said somebody else, I'd feel like I was betraying him. I know. So he's my guy at American Airlines um, with the shuttle, and he's he's just a breath of fresh air and a ray of sunshine every time I see him. And to go into an airport and to see a familiar face, you talk about your families. It's like spectacular. So Mario, LaGuardia Airport, American shuttle. You'll see him there. I see him there now, and I think of you every time I see him. I feel like he's a that recur- warms my heart. Mm. He's a recurring character on this podcast. Exactly. Mm. I've got to meet this wonderful Mario. Mine actually comes from the from the news headlines. But a Tokyo train company apologized earlier this year because one of its trains departed twenty seconds early. So just let that, I love Japan. Let that sink in. <laughs> right now, I mean, and, and this is an environment where the trains depart like clockwork. And they saw this as a major transgression that people expect if it says it's going to depart on the hour, that it will depart on the hour. And so that's above and beyond. That's above. You know what I love about that is apologies are so hard. And if it's just a straightforward apology, as a side note today, the NYPD apologized for something they had wow. done. And wow. it was amazing. When you apologize, so true. it's so powerful, I think. And service recovery. So mine ha- is Home Depot. This guy named Matt you know, bought a home recently, and we were doing some stuff. And they messed it up. And this guy, Matt, went above and beyond. He got in his truck. He drove to our house. He hand-delivered stuff. I mean, he was so phenomenal. That's great. To the point where I, I wished there were a better way for me to be able to say thank you. You know, when someone goes that far above and beyond Call of Duty. Anyway, Ryan, this was fantastic. Thanks for joining us. This was fun. Thanks so much for having me. That's great. Thanks, everyone. This is After Hours. You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down. 
If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Support for the show comes from Brooks Running. I'm so excited because I have been a runner, gosh, my entire adult life. And for as long as I can remember, I have run with Brooks Running Shoes. Now I'm running with a pair of Ghost 16s from Brooks. Incredibly lightweight shoes that have really soft cushioning. It feels just right when I'm hitting my running trail that's just out behind my house. You now can take your daily run in the better than ever Ghost 16. You can visit brooksrunning.com to learn more. 